Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Today we are talking about God's secrets. And uh, God's secrets is this thing that the Lord's been just putting on my heart the last little while. And uh, particularly this week, I just really felt the Spirit of God say, I want to tell you the secrets. I want to tell you the secrets. And the truth is, in order for us to go into this particular talk, we're going to talk about some pure scriptural things that are going to make some people very uncomfortable. I mean, you love it, right? When you just get that little nudge from the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're, we're not comfort kind of people around here. We like that little nudge, don't we? Okay. Some are like, no, I'm leaving right now. Should have stopped at Tim's. I knew it on the way. But the thing about the word of God is it is a double-edged sword that divides. It divides between bone and marrow, heart and spirit. It's, it's, it's this thing, or flesh and spirit. It's this thing that comes in, and, and there's a part that is great, and it's illuminating, and it's life-giving, and there's a part that cuts away the dead stuff. And that part doesn't always feel super good, but it's necessary. And so when we come to the things like knowing God's secrets, we have to understand that we maybe can't, if we, if we don't actively know God's secrets right now, there may be a place that he wants to develop in us so that we can, and the development will require some change. It will require some growth. It will require pressing in in a new way. And lately, you know, I've been <clears throat> talking to so many people who are just uh, feeling somewhat disturbed by, you know, world events, national events, uh, weather events, whatever it is. And, and a lot of us are starting to have questions like, where are we at in God's timeline? Where are we at in the, the timeline of the earth? Where are we at in, the, in terms of Jesus' return? Where are we at in, in you know, where we should invest our finances or our homes or you know, whatever? Where are we at? How do we know? What do we do? And the reality is we need to understand some of the deeper things of the kingdom in order to do that. I don't want to follow a person's advice only to find out the person was wrong. Does that make sense? A lot of people seem believable about a lot of different topics. I evidently am of a certain age because if I open my Instagram or Facebook or whatever, the ads that are targeting me right now, if I could get in there and poke that person just for calling me out on being the age that I am, I would. But you know, they, the reality is they all sound believable. Whatever they're selling, whatever whatever vitamins, whatever supplements, whatever fitness thing, whatever, they all sound believable. But does any of us believe you can totally lose weight at seven minutes a day eating all your favorite foods and only exercising seven minutes a day? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody actually think that's going to work? I mean, maybe, uh, okay, yeah, one, one guy. I mean, we all hope it's going to work, right? But the longer you watch the, the videos, it's like, you know, maybe they're onto something there. That, that sounds about right. Only they just, they just want your money, you know? It's, it's like that with every aspect of life. Finances, investments, you know, whatever. The reality is pretty much everybody you talk to has an invested interest in you buying into what they're saying. 
everybody makes a profit or a percentage or a bonus or a benefit off of what they they present to you. Does that not make sense? Any of us who are in you know, any kind of people industry, we know that. And so we do our best to serve people what we think that they need, but ultimately we're benefiting from it and we only know so much. At the end of the day, it makes sense to trust the one who knows it all. Literally, the one who made us, the one who is the beginning and the end, the one who knows the timeline of the earth, the one who fashioned us for his purposes and his glory, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb and said we are fearfully and wonderfully made, doesn't it make sense to ask his opinion on things? Doesn't it make sense to know what his, his goal is, what, what he's whispering the timeline is, what he's saying we should and shouldn't do? And so... In order for us to do that, we're going to have to decide, and I believe most of us have, even in this room today, we've decided that God is true, that he's real. And so if he's real, we want to know his thoughts. We want to know his secrets. But let's walk through this today, and I believe this is going to help some of us out to just understand a little bit more. Last week, we talked about um, the idea of God being trustworthy, that we need to learn to trust God. Hebrews 11.1, 1, obviously one of our core scriptures. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is another word for trust. Really. <laughs> you were here last week, right? Yes, so hope translated is another word for trust. So if we're going to um, stand in faith, we have to trust the one who has promised. This is the thing where we read about Sarah receives strength to conceive because she deemed him who promised as faithful. She, she wasn't trusting the promise, she was trusting the promiser. So she decided that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy. And our hope is actually anchored in trust. And trust is anchored in the nature of that which we are hoping, or th that uh, which we are leaning on. So trust is the act of expecting. It is based on a reasonable expectation of character. And it is the product of relationship. Either mine or somebody else's who you know, has a relationship with this person tells me I can trust them and I decide to believe the person that I trust, who trusts this person, however this flows, it's founded in relationship. When we are in relationship with someone, we know them, we trust them, they trust us, they tell us stuff, right? They loop us in and they share info with us that helps us understand the world through their eyes. So in other words, we can be busy with people all the time and never really trust them because we never really know them. We all have coworkers who we would say are friends. You know, we spend probably more time with our coworkers than we do with our family a lot of the time. But what level of communication do you have? What measure, are, are you talking about the work of the day? Are you talking about the boss? Are you talking about the coworkers? Are you talking about politics and weather and sports, or are you talking about the core issues in your life? Because the people that you tell the real stuff to are the people that you have decided to trust. Does that make sense? 
The people that you are vulnerable with, the people that you, you, they tell you their stuff, you tell them their stuff. And if that job, say if it's a workplace friendship, if that job were to dissolve, you would still want to spend time with one another because now you've been connected on a heart level, right? We can have the same thing we can come to a church week after week, month after month, year after year, and we talk about God, we talk about the things of God, we hear scriptures, but we never actually get into that intimate place where we are communicating heart to heart with God. We don't actually trust him with our lives until we decide that he's trustworthy. Some of us are more trusting and come in right away and we're like, God, have it all. Other people, it develops over time. But the sooner we get there, the sooner we receive the benefits. So this is the development of trust. We decide to engage the mystery with him. There's stuff we don't know, but because we trust him with the stuff he's revealed and his character, his nature, we'll trust him with the stuff we don't know. Does that make sense? I don't need a whole resume of the people that I allow in my life. I just need to know that there's a sense, there's a mutual um, understanding of who we are. We're choosing to be in this relationship together of some kind. I am choosing to engage this. So this thing, um, I, remember, I remember talking to somebody once who just said, you know, I'm like, well, you're, you're pretty connected. You know, are you friends with them or whatever? And it was like somebody in uh, Calgary who just had a lot of connections and whatever. And he said, you know, I actually don't consider people friends until I've been to their home. And I'm like, well, that's an interesting, I mean, our culture is not very good at hospitality. And he said, yeah, but the thing is, until they decide to let me into their space, I don't feel like we actually have a trust relationship. And I, that, to me, that was very interesting because I thought immediately in the word, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in and eat with him. So the, in the natural, are, do you allow people into your space? Do you allow people into that, that spot of knowing who you really are when the, the curtains are open? You know, when the stuff that you've tucked away is laid bare. I remember going on a trip with a friend who is uh, our first, our first bare, didn't know each other very well. Our first trip away, and I just... I didn't have time to develop a trust relationship. Neither did she. So on the plane, I said, so what's off limits? She's like, what do you mean what's off limits? I'm like, well, how, how transparent can we be? Like, what, what topics are off limits? Like, wh how much can you handle? How much of me can you handle? And she's like, oh, it's on. I'm, I'm good. Do you know, in a moment, it was like, okay. Let's go, like it was a choice to trust and, and to just go there instead of feeling our way through, you know, this trip and feeling our way through conversations. There was a sense on the inside that this is somebody I can trust. And for her, she felt like this is somebody she can trust. And so we could go there together. We could engage a relationship. All of that to say, we're talking about God's secrets. We have to, first of all, like we talked about last week, we are deciding that God can be trusted. He begins to lay things open, but he's inviting us to come close. He's in inviting us to engage this relationship. Proverbs uh, 18.24 is interesting because it says, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. Let's just stop there. A man who has friends must, show him, uh, must himself be friendly. I must have the King James Version here. 
Man who has friends must show himself friendly or must himself be friendly. In other words, if it's going to be a real friendship and not an engagement of convenience, it's a two-way street. So if we're going to come into this place where we get to know the secrets of God, it's going to be a two-way street. We're stepping into a friendship. We're stepping into a relationship with him where we actually have to engage. Because the second half of that is, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So Jesus is that friend. Jesus is the next level kind of friend. He's the next level, like he is there in all the times, the good times, the bad times, all the times in between. He is that kind of a friend. But we only experience him as that kind of a friend if we're willing to be a friend to him. Does that make sense? What's available with all of the things of God, it's, it's a- available, but we only partake of that which we choose to partake of. And so he is this friend, so we can decide to trust him. But the second half of that is, can he trust us? We can trust him, guaranteed 100% he's trustworthy. Am I? Can he trust me with his secrets? Can he trust me with his heart? Can he trust me with wisdom and revelation? Can he trust me with the mysteries of heaven? Can he trust me to reveal to me things that are happening and yet to happen? Can he trust me to know what's going on? Or will I misuse it, abuse it, sell it, spread it? You know, will I take it for my own? Will I break the trust? We not only build our trust with God, uh, our build our trust of God, but we build trust with God. Just meditate on this a little minute. We not only build our trust of God, but we build trust with God. We, through the relationship, become the kind of people that He can trust with his secrets. We become the kind of people that God feels comfortable with releasing more and more and more. Now, this is already rubbing some people the wrong way, I can tell. You're already like, I thought the only thing for salvation was to to say yes to Jesus, to accept him into my heart, you know, to believe in him, to confess him. Yep, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about the quality of relationship you experience with him while you're on this earth. Salvation is, that is literally, it's a gift of God. It's an act of grace. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of kindness from God. It's It's a price that was paid for us that we simply receive. How much of it we receive and how it works out in our life is totally our choice. So we build trust with God. And the more we know him, the more we pursue him, the more we go after him, the more he can trust us with. Does this make sense? It is literally like, you know, your kids, they are inheritance, you know, inheritors of all that the family has. You know, they live in your house, they have a roof over their head, they have food in their bellies, they're part of what the family has. But do they get trusted with the car? No. <laughs> Not until they prove they are trustworthy. Right? The basics are there. The basics are non-negotiable. Like they get removed from our home if we don't provide the basics. The basics are there, but the bonus things happen because trust has been built. God is a father. 
He's a parent. And the more we are trustworthy, the more we treasure, the more we value, the more we're in this engaged relationship with him, the more he can trust us with. So we're going to walk through just a few questions here, and this is going to help a lot. Number one, what builds trust with God? What builds trust with God? And we're just going to work through some questions. I love um, how John Bevere breaks it down, and he just says these four things. He says, unconditional obedience, absolute integrity, unwavering priority, and knowing his heart. Now, let's just leave that up for a minute. You write the notes. This is, this is big. Unconditional obedience, absolute integrity, unwavering priority, and knowing his heart. These things are all absolutely biblical. They're in the promises. They're in the way the word works out. And all of these things, if we're saying, well, we're trying to build a relationship, this feels a little one-sided. Um, that's because we're not equals. I expect, you know, with my my best friends, I expect that there's some give and take. It's not a one-sided friendship. I would hope that we bless one another, that there's some, some give and some take. But he is the God of the universe who lets me come into relationship with him. And so in that relationship, we're not equals. I am going to, in this relationship, I am going to endeavor to live this way. And this sounds like a tall order, but honestly, it, the more we love him, the more we know him, the easier this gets. And one of my... Um, Mental pictures for this one is, I, I remember reading that um, Billy Graham was the spiritual advisor for 12 different presidents, which I think is phenomenal. Like, to me, that, that would be like a life dream to be able to advise government. Like, uh, 12 different presidents. And he was considered their friend. You know, when Billy Graham died, past presidents came to his funeral and like came and paid their respects. There was a relationship that had been built over the years. But my guess is that when Billy Graham was invited to the White House to advise the president, he didn't say, oh, I'll just check my schedule and see if that fits. The time, the place, the way it was being done was set by the president. And he, as a friend to the president, came and offered. It was the priority. It was the, the thing of coming in and, and, and adapting to each different president and each different leadership style, but coming and, and honoring. So he wasn't an equal positionally, but he became a friend and a trusted advisor. So when we look at this, it's possible to have deep abiding relationships that where one, one person is of greater importance or um, authority, right? A higher authority. But that same person in the, in the aspect of relationship wants to just sit like with a friend. Like I may have a lot of responsibility, but sometimes I just want to sit over a cup of coffee and just talk to somebody because I have a heart and feelings. Does that make sense? The President of the United States has heart and feelings. The Prime Minister of Canada has heart and feelings. God has heart and feelings. We read his feelings in the word of God. We read in the Bible how he, he emotes and how things go. And so we want to understand that these things are an act of how God begins to trust us with more and more and more. If God says this is what needs to be done and he trusts that we have unconditional obedience, he'll tell us more. If, if, if he says that this is, this is what is wrong, 
You know, you're asking for an answer for society. You're asking for an answer for this brokenness. And he knows that we will walk in absolute integrity. Then he knows we're not just going to gossip about that thing wherever we go. We're going to take it to the right places and handle it with the right spirit and the right heart. If he knows that he is our unwavering priority, then he doesn't just toss and waste the kingdom instructions, but he puts them in our hands so that we can walk out and carry out kingdom purposes. If we are committed to knowing his heart, he knows that we understand if everything isn't directly spelled out, we know the nature of God that would be behind this instruction. And we carry it out with that affection. Last week we finished off with John 15, and we're going to just pick it up there for a minute. John 15, starting at verse 13. And it says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. That sounds like the stuff we just read. Right? It's not you are my friends because... I threw a birthday party and you all showed up, so now you're my friends. No, friends, friends are people who actually connect with the instructional level of God. It goes on and it says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So in other words, when these disciples who are sitting with him are experiencing this act of love and they've just heard all this thing about the vine and the branches and abiding in him, and then Jesus says, because you are willing to do whatever I command you, I'm not, I'm not even calling you servants anymore, I'm calling you friends, and because you're my friends, I'm going to tell you the secrets. I'm going to tell you stuff that other people don't know. And we, we tend to read this verse like this is just available to all believers. I don't believe, I, I believe it's an option that we can choose to engage. But I don't believe every believer experiences this level of friendship. I don't believe every believer experiences all the things that the Father wants revealed. I, I, I believe on an ongoing basis, the more we are willing to press in and get to know God the more we are willing to be a friend to God, the more we're willing to, to trust his calling and his purposes and his instructions, the more we find out about what it is he wants to reveal. And so literally, Jesus specifically says in there, those things I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. And then he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And so R.T. Kendall just blunts it out like this, and he says, friendship with God is on offer, Upon a condition that we fear him. What do we mean fear him? Well, it literally says, if you do whatever I tell you. And friendship and obedience are connected. And obedience is connected to the fear of the Lord. It's an actual reverence that he has a right to tell me, instruct me, ask me to do things. And because he's God, I'm doing it. It's not up for debate. He's God. So I'm going to do it. Friendship is a result of somebody who is willing to walk in obedience. And the obedience is a result of I'm walking in the fear of the Lord. I honor who he is. It's this basic core thing. So number two, then what is the fear of the Lord? If this is what we're talking about, if Jesus is saying, I've, 
I'm calling you my friends. I mean, part of this is a transfer from Old Testament to New Testament, but, but essentially Jesus didn't, um, you know, even in his, in his walk through the Gospels, we, we read how there's like thousands of people following him, and they hear some stuff, and then hundreds of people following him, and they hear some stuff, and then like 12, and then like three, and the closer and more intimate it gets, the bigger the information. Does that make sense? That there's like secrets that are being told to those who, are, who can be trusted. So number two, what is the fear of the Lord? The definition of the fear of the Lord is reverence, awe, hello, esteem. It does not mean to be afraid of God. It is recognizing that he is God. Like literally master of the universe. Um, in the awe of God, John Bevere says, uh, he just sums it up and he says, the fear of the Lord is, is uh, to take on God's heart. It means we love what he loves and hate what he hates. That's a good, simple way of saying it. We take on God's heart. We love what he loves and hate what he hates. So this crossover, it means that being a friend of God is learning to live in a relationship that's founded on a deep reverence for who he really is and for what he really loves and for what really matters to him. It's deciding I'm going to come into a place where I actually, I, I, I believe he is the, the center point that everything else is meant to come out of. Everything in my life is subject to change, but he doesn't change. So I want to find out what he thinks about stuff. I want to find out what he's got planned. I want to find out who he is. I want to find out his nature and his heart. I want to find out who God really is. And I'm willing to go there. This will take the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord gives us access to becoming a friend of God, right? We talked about this already. So number three, who is a friend of God? The breakdown is it's someone who fears God and can be his trusted confidant. Someone who understands the will and ways of God's heart. Who is a friend of God? Someone who can be God's trusted confidant. We read about all kinds of people in the Bible who had a, who, who had a human-God relationship. They knew God, they worshipped God, they honoured God, but we only read about a few who were friends of God. The friends of God are the people who can be his trusted confidant. Psalm 25, 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. Let's just look at that for a minute. This, is, this promise, in fact, Psalm 25, there's all kinds of promises of what happens when we fear the Lord. But specifically this one, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. In the ESV, it says this. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. This is more blunt. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. The Passion Translation puts it this way. There is a private place reserved for the lovers of God, where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. Isn't that beautiful? So again, walking back, can God be trusted? We have to decide that. Can God be trusted? And then we have to acknowledge, can I be trusted? by God, to be his confidant. 
Can I be trusted with the secret, the private things, the stuff that God wants to reveal and unpack? Have you ever sat under a teacher or a preacher and you're just like, how do they know that? Like the stuff that they're saying is just like, of course that, I mean, I, it's right there. How did I not see that? Well, the Holy Spirit has unpacked it for them because they're in a trust relationship with God. There's a place where the Lord is ministering truth and he's, he's revealing things. There's a secret that's being unpacked here. The secret of the Lord, secret of uh, the definition of it biblically is a company of persons in close deliberation, intimacy, consultation, um, coming from the root meanings to sit down together. Some translate it as counsel, but it is more accurately to confide. Forerunner commentary says this, it is indicating at least two people pressing or leaning together in quiet conversation, a posture that friends take when they share a confidence between them. It initially suggests intimate friendship. Then, uh, then God opens his mind to those who fear him so that he can more carefully instruct them in his will and his way. So in other words, if we, if we work it backwards and we say... There is a quiet conversation, a confidence shared between two people in friendship, between God and us when we fear him. And he shows us, he reveals something that he can more carefully instruct us, his will and his way. It's this decision, when God says his secret is with those who fear him, the intimate, like quiet, conversation that happens between friends up close. This is, this is that up close talk that we have. It happens with people who fear the Lord. This is biblically speaking. Proverbs 3.32 says, the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright or with those who fear him. Friendship with God is reserved for those who fear him and that friendship opens the gate for the secrets of God to be revealed. So what does this mean? Does it mean that there are multiple levels of revelation? Does it mean that there's some people know a lot of stuff, some people will never know a lot of stuff? I've said it a thousand times before and I'll keep saying it. We have as much of God as we want. We'll hear as much of his voice as we want. We will have as, as much intimate knowledge of him as we want. To the degree that we can be trusted with his secrets, he will reveal them. How do I know? Let's talk about the next big gaping question then number four what is God's will you're all like jackpot I've been wondering I mean this is a big deal how do we know what is the will of God we're supposed to pray according to the will of God we're supposed to to um, minister to the Lord according to his will we're supposed to act upon his will it's interesting in John 15 when when Jesus is talking about you know you're you're now my friends because you do whatever I command you whatever the father has told me I will tell you and then he goes on and he says and you will pray whatever you ask in my name and it'll be done for you why because you're praying according to God's will because now you know the will of God and you're coming into agreement with it, so it's absolutely going to be done. It's absolutely going to be accomplished. How do we know what the will of God is? Well, here's an interesting tidbit. Uh, theology breaks this down into three different topics within the will of God. There is the sovereign decretive will of God, there is the perceptive will of God, and there is the will of disposition. And so we're going to walk through all of these things. You're all like, 
I know. The sovereign, decreative will of God. This literally is the will by... Do we have the words for that? We can pop it back up again for a drive-by. <laughs> You're such good note-takers, you guys. It's awesome. It is the will by which God brings to pass whatsoever he decrees. These are the things that must happen, although we are not always aware of what it is ahead of time. So these are the prophetic decrees from God. In other words, it is the, it is the broad, sovereign will of God, the stuff that is happening no matter what. There are timelines, there are, there are events on earth, there is the things of God that it's not subject to change, it's not something, we don't have a say in it, it just is what it is. And so one of the things that I, I think about in the course of that is like uh, the story of Joseph. God gave Joseph a dream, and um, you know, the whole thing about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him and all of this stuff, and, and him and his um, exuberance, youthful exuberance, just shared it with his brothers, and it didn't, go bad, or it didn't go well for him, and he ended up getting sold into slavery, and he ended up in prison, and it was just this, this thing. And then we read later that, that Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And all the time that Joseph is in, uh, in Potiphar's house, he's in the prison, it says that the hand of the Lord was with him and blessed him, that he had favor in the eyes of God. So what, what I see in that is that there is, God had planned, there was a timeline for Israel to move to Egypt. And God on purpose was sending somebody to be there it, this, this was the plan. Now the hows and the whys of it in between, there's human stuff that happens, but there was an ultimate goal, there was an ultimate timeline that God had in place. And so even though they didn't know why it was all coming about the way it was, and whether that was God's direct plan or not, we, we don't know. But we do know that God's purposes, his, his perfect will was done and Joseph was in the right place at the right time as had been laid out through all of history. We know that Moses was set aside to be the deliverer of Egypt. We knew that it was going to be, you know, the 400 years, it was going to be X amount of time and people had to cry out and God said, their, their cry has reached my ears and I have heard the cries of my people and I'm releasing them. But it was exactly the amount of time that he'd already said to Abraham ahead of time was going to happen. Like the 400 years, Moses was marked from birth to be the deliverer of uh, Israel out of Egypt. I think, personally, um, it was a setup that he was already raised in Pharaoh's house. He got a little overexcited, killed a guy, had to go into hiding. I, I, I think it's possible, this is not, like, don't take this as the absolute gospel, but I think it's possible that God had made a perfect setup, people got involved, it got a little messy, but ultimately Moses was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing, the stuff that had been prophesied 400 years prior. So there's, there's stuff along the way, but when God's absolute sovereign, decreative will is there, it will happen. This is the stuff that we want to lean into. We want to know the will of God. And so these things, we are pursuing the one with the answer. This is where we're getting into the word. You want to know what's happening end times? Do your best to study. We can, we can advise, you know, from a pastoral perspective. Ultimately, there's a measure of mystery in it. 
There just is. But God's will will absolutely happen. And so uh, one of the things that I find great about this is Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Um, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. We use that scripture just kind of willy-nilly, but he's specifically talking to Jeremiah, who is in the middle of this, like, our nation is collapsing. Like, what is happening? These people don't, they don't listen to your word. They don't listen to the voice of God. Like, what is happening? And God's like, okay, I'm going to show you stuff you don't know. And we see that there is always a prophetic sound that goes along with the sovereign will of God. And, and sometimes we need to look for that prophetic sound. The, the uh, office of a prophet, fivefold ministry, the office of a prophet still exists. Their job is not to encourage you. Their, their job is to express these sorts of things, to, to tell you what God is doing. To, and it partners with his word. It's never going to come out of nowhere. But the prophetic voice, it comes and it declares what God has decreed from heaven. And so things like uh, Young E. Cho came in the 60s and he prophesied the revival that was going to happen in Pensacola 40 years later. 30 years later, whatever it was. And he was in fear and trembling. He gave the word and he said, you know, two, three, four years later, um, people started coming to him and, and calling him a false prophet because it didn't happen. And he's like, I realized that I had not uh, checked with God on the timeline. I gave the word, but I didn't, I didn't check with him on the timeline. But sure enough, boom, it happens. Um, Dutch Sheets, 15 years ago, I think, prophesied a move of God, a revival that would happen exactly like it's happening in the colleges and universities right now. And at the time, people are like, honestly, this is one of the most perverse places on the planet is our educational system. And he prophesied it ahead of time. So the sovereign will of God is in play. And we're listening for these voices that explain it to us. But we will have an inner unction because we're the children of God. Does this make sense? When the sovereign, we can't, if God has a timeline on the earth, we don't ask for him to extend it. We'd be prepared for when he comes. And, and frankly, I believe it could be any time. Number two is the preceptive will of God. The preceptive will of God, meaning there are precepts or instructions that go along with his will. So this is the stuff that is literally the commandments. It's the things that God tells us that, that he desires, that he wants, and we have an, a part in it. So this is uh, the stuff that is God's revealed law or commandments that we have the power but not the right to break. So like the Ten Commandments, Moses talks about it in Deuteronomy 29, 29. And he says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. That was Deuteronomy 29, 29. So he says there are secret things that belong to God, but there are revealed things that when they are revealed to us, we have an obligation to do them. What does this mean? The things that God instructs are not optional. They are not dependent on culture. They are not dependent on our feel good. They are not dependent on whether we like it or not. It is the, it is the instruction of God. And when we follow those instructions, we experience life. It's interesting in Deuteronomy 17, 
18 to 19, it literally talks about, there's an instruction of um, God saying, you're going to come to a time when kings are going to, you know, you're going to want to have kings in the land. And he says, he says this, he says, uh, he shall, uh, first of all, he says that they need to, there we go. He shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. In other words, if you're going to be king, you need to hand write out the instructions of God. That's wild, right? Anybody who's a teacher knows there is a combo between we will eat the good of the land. We will hear the secrets of God. We will know his heart. We will experience his faithfulness. The blessing of God, most every promise that you, that you want to cherry pick out of the Bible is connected to it if you do this then he will do this. So a lot of us, even already this stuff, we're like, I, you know, I ask God, I ask God what his will is. He's not talking to me. So I guess I'm just going to do my own thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to seek the Lord, you know, but he's not talking. Is it possible that there is some instructions already that you are ignoring? Because the last place of disobedience will be the last place you probably hear God. I know. It's the truth. It's the measure of God that we want, the measure of his voice that we want to hear, is the measure of the fear of the Lord that we have. Straight up, whoever knows to do right and does not do it, it is sin. God has given an instruction, and even if we're not talking about actual, like, Ten Commandments, like, like sin issues, blatant sin issues. If God has instructed you to do something and you're not doing it, to you it is sin. Why? Because it is choosing against the fear of the Lord. I know this is harsh, right? But it's, here's the best part. <laughs> the will of disposition. As we move through, as we are obedient, as we do the things that he shows us, as we, we follow the stuff that we can read, the stuff that he has revealed, the stuff that he is showing us, the stuff that, you know, there's, there's basic instructions in here. And we're like, God, I fear you more than I want the pleasure of my own flesh. I fear you and I want you and I honor you. We sang it this morning. We'll probably sing it again. You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. Is that true? Do we hold the things of our life loosely? Do we hold our dreams loosely? Do we hold finances loosely? Do we hold, you know, the, the, the stuff, the patterns of our life loosely? Is he really all we want? Because when we come across something in the word and it's like, oh, that bites, like stings a little bit. And then we just ignore it until we've forgotten about it and carry on. And then we come and we sing, God, you're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. Show me you are near. He's like, I didn't move. You backed out the last time I talked to you. I didn't move. The pursuit of God leads us into this place where we have the opportunity opportunity to experience his will of disposition, which describes God's attitude or disposition. It reveals what is or is not pleasing to him. And this is the undercurrent, and we're just going to dig into this for just a minute. This is the stuff 
the revealed will that requires friendship. It requires this place of mutual trust, this mutual knowing, this mutual love and care. And sometimes we as believers can be all like, I just want everything God has for me. And God's like, I want all of you. And we're like, no. How about most? Most of me, except this, except this, except this. And God's like, the, the reason I want, I want the surrender, the reason I want the obedience is not to manipulate your life. It's not to pull the puppet strings. It's because I want you to be able to come close enough. I want, if we sang like we sang this morning, holy, 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 holy. Can I come before a holy God knowing I am willfully disobedient to the thing that he's instructed me to do? Can I come before a holy God when there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Because I know, I know I'm hiding stuff. I know I'm in rebellion. Now, keep in mind, I'm not talking about salvation right now. I am talking about my experience with God on this earth. I have this opportunity to walk with God or serve God. There's a couple people who were literally described as the friend of God. There's, there's more than a couple, but directly, Abraham and Moses were two of them. And James 2, 21 to 23 describes how it went down with Abraham, and it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. And literally this passage is talking about Abraham has received the promise of God. God has given him a promise that he's going to have a son in his old age, and he receives, he believes God, and he begins to have dialogues with God. And Isaac gets to a certain age, and God's like, okay, what I want you to do is sacrifice him. Some friend you are, right? Absolute obedience, right? These things that we just read about, it's, it's, it's that. It is unconditional obedience, absolute integrity, unwavering priority, and knowing God's heart. Abraham, it says that he, he decided in himself that like God would be able to raise him back to life if he had to. So he trusted the heart of God. He, he immediately received the word, and he went the next day to take Isaac up the mountain to offer him. He knew God. He was in this relationship with God. And because he was willing to give God everything, God called him his friend. Up close and personal. And it's so interesting because the story of Sodom and Gomorrah has this passage in the, in the front of it where God's like, he's had it with what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and obviously we know cities that are full of utter depravity. There is so much brokenness. There is so much pain. You want to know what God hates? That. He hates the nature of sin and how it destroys people. And so God's like, I've had enough. And it, he's going to wipe the cities out. And then he says, but would we do that without talking to our friend Abraham? So this is not the sovereign will of God, because if God was just, so, if, if it was a sovereign plan, it just would have happened no matter what. It wasn't a specifically this, this instructive kind of thing where, where people could 
negotiate. It was, this is a heart move. God's heart was broken for what was going on in that city. So he talks to his friend about it. And Abraham says, you know, it's not really like you to be unjust. It's not who you are. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't just destroy the whole city if there was righteous people in it, would you? Like, what if there was only 50? And he negotiates with God, which is so interesting because we see that God's heart is like, oh, this has to end. And Abraham comes and he's like, okay, let's talk through what's going on here. This is very interesting because Moses has a similar experience. And it says in Exodus 33, 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And the reason that God is speaking to Moses face to face, God wants to talk to everybody and everybody else is like, no, you are too scary. That was not the fear of the Lord. That was, I'm afraid of God. Like it was a different kind of fear, right? And so Moses is like, I will go and meet with God. I will live my life with total abandon before him. I want to meet with him. And God comes down and meets with him face to face. It's the same description as this, like the confidant. So God is speaking secrets to Moses. And he has this one moment where literally God's so ticked with Israel, the emotional side of God, the heart of God, that he's like, I'm going to wipe them out and we'll start over again with you. And Moses is like, that's not who you are. That's not your nature. You are this kind of God. And he intercedes and he gets in this discussion with God. I believe right now God is calling us for these kinds of relationships. Not where we're talking God in or out of things. But what, what I'm giving you an example of is God talked about the, the actual operational things with his friends. The actual operational things of what is going on. You know, you are, you're struggling probably right now with knowing where do, you, you know, where do you go with your financial situation? Where are we going in the future? What, what stuff is falling apart? What stuff is still going to be there 10 years from now? How do, we, how do we navigate? How do we negotiate? Literally, my answer has been to everybody recently, you need to know God. I would never... I would never make a blanket statement and say we should all invest in X amount of stocks and we should do this and we should all, you know, I would never. Why? Because God hasn't revealed that. But for every person, he has a voice of wisdom. There are certain things that are absolutely going to happen and there will be prophets that will help discern this and unpack it for us. There will be things that God says, here's a, here's a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do. Here's my instructions for you and you should do them. And then there's the heart conversations that we have with God. And Wayne and I were talking about this and please don't be offended about uh, this. Just one of the best examples that I've had to navigate through. Um, things like World War II and the the rise and fall of Nazism. How do we explain that with the sovereignty of God? Did God, was God sovereign and therefore rose up Hitler to destroy 6,000 Jews? No. There is a move that happened during that time period though, where God had prophesied, spoken his sovereign will for Israel to become a nation and for his people to be gathered around from the corners of the earth and back to the land that he had given them. That part, I believe, is a sovereign will of God. 
The sinful part of man is the part, this middle part of God's will where we can decide whether we want to, uh, the perceptive will of God, where we can decide to obey or not. And people decided to let evil triumph. You know, all it takes is for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing, right? We've heard the stories of churches that sang louder as the trains went past their church doors. How, you know, that's not God's will. That is man deciding to not walk in the measure of obedience and love that he called them to. And we've also heard stories of people who literally escaped that crisis by God waking them up in the middle of the night and saying, pack up and go now. How did that happen? Friends of God. People who intimately knew his voice and he told them secrets and he warned them ahead of time. We can see all of the, the will of God played out in those circumstances. And you know, why didn't God just make it stop? Because there is the perceptive will of God. There is room. God says, this is how I want you to live. You can choose to obey it or not. And mankind has chosen over and over and over again to pander to the flesh, to preserve our own lives. We, we, we have decided to do what's best for me and mine. And, and I'm, I'm just going to decide God can sort it out on the other side. But it, for me, that doesn't feel right. So I'm just going to do my thing. If we want to walk in the fullness of God's plan for us, we need to decide to honor not only his sovereign will and just say, well, whatever happens, happens. But understand there is a perceptive will. There's things where he's going to say, do this or don't do this. And I can decide to obey or not. And there's going to be an even more intimate place of relationship where he shares with us the secrets of his heart. And if we have those things, we walk in kingdom fullness. We experience all of who God is. We experience the God who literally is life and life abundantly. The one who has come to bless us. The one who has come to, to cause us to walk in his fullness, to know his goodness. We experience who God really is when we decide, no matter what, I want to know the will of God. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be his friend. I'm going to have the worship team come. It's a little intense, right? Are you guys okay? This is deeper stuff. It's deeper stuff. But the invitations of God, we have to be, you know, with what we're headed into, I believe it's important that we decide to grow. We decide to pursue. We decide to actively go after him. Tonight, um... For our prayer topic, we're doing chapter two, and it's, it's going to be very good. It's going to be a very good follow-up to this morning. So I would, I would love to recommend that you be here six o'clock. It's going to be awesome. But in the meantime, would you stand with us this morning? And I want to invite you, just as we sing this, this song one more time, again, the songs that we sing are prayers with a tune. I want... I want us to sing this song again as a prayer and very personally we need to analyze am I actually wanting to draw near to him am I actually wanting to hear his voice do I actually want to know the secrets of God and what you've heard today is what it's going to take to hear the secrets of God we don't stand afar off and just, God, God, tell me. 
You say to ask you, show me great and mighty things that I do not know and you'll, you'll reveal them. That's out of relationship. Like not just pulling a promise out of a cookie jar, right? The promises of God have relationship attached to them. If God gives you a promise, you want to go in and go, okay, reveal to me, God, what's connected to this promise. Reveal to me the part of your heart that's connected to this. Show me where to go. I know that there are people in this room, you are deciding about houses. You are deciding about jobs. You are deciding about major financial things. You're deciding about relationships. I am telling you, the, the, the middle zone is getting washed away. It is so vital that we passionately go after God and His heart and His will. It is so vital that we allow ourselves to be, to be cut apart a little bit, to have the flesh, you know, rendered, that we are, the Spirit can come and pursue God, that we're not living in these things of self-pacification, but God, we want you. Literally, all I want is you, because if I have you, I have everything. Literally, if I have you, I have everything. What's going to happen with the earth? What's going to happen with the end times? What's going to happen with the global uh, climate? What's going to happen with the global economy? What's going to happen with the global governmental system? I don't know, but I do know that if I have him, I'm good. Help me. Draw close, God. Help me choose you. Help me walk in that place of obedience. Help me decide. Help me to be trustworthy to you. I want to know your secrets. We have a history on the planet of people who have had a taste of God and went, that's enough. But I believe God is looking for intimates right now. He is looking for a people who are like, I actually want you more than anything else. And I will do whatever it takes to be there with you. Lord, this morning, we just thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for this beautiful invitation to not just be servants of God, not just be children of God, but to be friends of God, to know the secrets of God. And Lord, I pray for every heart that's been in turmoil about this struggling to find, to find your will, to find your direction. God, help us to be still before you. To listen for your voice, God. To decide that truly your way is better. You, your thoughts are higher. God, you know more. And we trust you. And we want to be trusted by you. And so God, I pray that this house would become a house full of people that are completely invested in this relationship with you, completely sold out to this relationship with you, passionately living out the call of God upon their lives, God, passionately living out of the relationship. Lord, that we don't reason our way to an answer, but God, we listen for the answer. We don't reason our way into, into obedience, but God, we choose obedience. We decide to say yes. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. 
Lord, forgive us for the times we've, we've uh, pacified things. Forgive us for the times we've made excuses for what you call wrong. Forgive us for the times, God, where we've made excuses. We've sought out common approval, God, for the things that you've already told us to let go of or to step into. God, forgive us for the times we've searched for man's approval instead of yours. God, today we want you more. And I thank you, Lord, for that draw on our hearts today. We thank you for the invitation. I thank you, God, that you convict us, but you don't condemn us. You convict us and you draw us into a place of repentance and healing and restoration. And you draw us closer and closer and closer to know you more. I pray that even today, God, there would be a lifting off of the lies, lifting off of excuses, lifting off of even the deception of the enemy that would say we could never know the will of God. Lord, I thank you that you provide your will for us. I thank you, Lord, that we pray and we, we engage you according to your will. And we see the answers, Lord, because we're partnered with your heart. I thank you for, for taking us into the deeper and deeper and deeper things in you. And we just look forward to God, what this relationship looks like on the other side and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach, teach, mobilize.